0: Section sixty of the Genius by Theodore Dreiser. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book two chapter thirty one. The work which Eugene undertook in connection with the art department of the world was not different from that which he had done ten years before in Chicago. It seemed no less difficult for all his experience, more so, if anything, for he felt above it these days and consequently out of place. He wished at once that he could get something which would pay him commensurately with his ability. To sit down among mere boys, there were men there as old as himself and older, though, of course, he did not pay so much attention to them, was galling. He thought Benedict should have had more respect for his talent than to have offered him so little, though at the same time he was grateful for what he had received. He undertook energetically to carry out all the suggestions given him, and surprised his superior with the speed and imagination with which he developed everything. He surprised Benedict the second day with a splendid imaginative interpretation of the Black Death, which was to accompany a Sunday newspaper article on the modern possibilities of plagues. The latter saw at once that Eugene could probably be only retained a very little while at the figure he had given him. He had made the mistake of starting him low, thinking that Eugene's talent, after so severe an illness, might be at a very low ebb. He did not know, being new to the art directorship of a newspaper, how very difficult it was to get increases for those under him. An advance of $10 to anyone meant earnest representation and an argument with the business manager, and to double and treble the salary, which should have been done in this case, was out of the question. Six months was a reasonable length of time for anyone to wait for an increase. Such was that dictate of the business management, and in Eugene's case it was ridiculous and unfair. However, being still sick and apprehensive, he was content to abide by the situation, hoping with returning strength and the saving of a little money to put himself right eventually. Angela, of course, was pleased with the turn of affairs. Having suffered so long with only prospects of something worse in store, it was a great relief to go to the bank every Tuesday. Eugene was paid on Monday and deposit $10 against a rainy day. It was agreed between them that they might use six for clothing, which Angela and Eugene very much needed, and some slight entertainment. It was not long before Eugene began to bring an occasional newspaper artist friend up to dinner, and they were invited out. They had gone without much clothing, with scarcely a single visit to the theater, without friends, everything. Now the tide began slowly to change. In a little while, because they were more free-to-go places, they began to encounter people whom they knew there were six months of drifting journalistic work in which as in his railroad work he grew more and more restless and then there came a time when he felt as if he could not stand that for another minute he had been raised to thirty-five dollars and then fifty but it was a terrific grind of exaggerated and to him thoroughly meretricious art the only valuable result in connection with it were that for the first time in his life he was drawn a moderately secure living salary and that his mind was fully occupied with details which gave him no time to think about himself he was in a large room surrounded by other men who were as sharp as knives in their thrust of wit and restless and greedy in their attitude toward the world they wanted to live brilliantly just as he did only they had more self-confidence and in many cases that extreme poise which comes of rare good health. They were inclined to think he was somewhat of a poshure at first, but later they came to like him, all of them. He had a winning smile, and his love of a joke so keen, so body-shaking, drew to him all those who had a good story to tell. "'Tell that to Whitla!' was a common phrase about the office, and Eugene was always listening to someone. He came to lunching, with first one and then another and then three or four at a time and by degrees angela was compelled to entertain eugene and two or three of his friends twice and sometimes three times a week she objected greatly and there was some feeling over that for she had no maid and she did not think that eugene ought to begin so soon to put the burden of entertainment upon her slender income She wanted him to make these things very formal and by appointment. But Eugene would stroll in genially, explaining that he had Irving Nelson with him, or Henry Hare, or George Beers, and asking nervously at the last minute whether it was all right. Angela would say, certainly to be sure, in front of the guests, but when they were alone, there would be tears and reproaches and firm declarations that she would not stand it. "'Well, I won't do it any more,' Eugene would apologize. "'I forgot, you know.' Still he wanted Angela to get a maid and let him bring all who would come. It was a great relief to get back into the swing of things and see life broadening out once more. It was not so long after he had grown exceedingly weary of his underpaid relationship to the world that he heard of something which promised a much better avenue of advancement. Eugene had been hearing for some time from one source and another of the development of art in advertising. He had read one or two articles on the subject in the smaller magazines, had seen from time to time curious and sometimes beautiful series of ads run first by one corporation and then another, advertising some product. He had always fancied, in looking at these things, that he could get up a notable series on almost any subject and he wondered who handled these things he asked benedict one night going up on the car with him what he knew about it why so far as i know said benedict that is coming to be quite a business there is a man out in chicago saligerian an american syrian his father was a syrian but he was born over here who has built up a tremendous business out of designing series of ads like that for big corporations. He got up that Molly Maguire series for the new cleaning fluid. I don't think he does any of the work himself. He hires artists to do it. Some of the best men, I understand, have done work for him. He gets splendid prices. Then some big advertising agencies are taking up that work. One of them I know, the Somerville Company, has a big art department in connection with it. They employ fifteen to eighteen men all the time, sometimes more. They turn out some fine ads, too, to my way of thinking. Do you remember that Corno series? Benedict was referring to a breakfast food which had been advertised by a succession of ten very beautiful and very clever pictures. Yes, replied Eugene. Well they did that. Eugene thought of this as a most interesting development since the days in which he had worked on the alexandria appeal he had been interested in ads the thought of an ad creation took his fancy it was newer than anything else he had encountered recently he wondered if there would not be some chance in that field for him his paintings were not selling he had not the courage to start a new series if he could make some money first say ten thousand dollars so that he could get an interest income of say six or seven hundred dollars a year he might be willing to risk art for art's sake he had suffered too much poverty had scared him so that he was very anxious to lean on a salary or a business income for the time being it was while he was speculating over this almost daily that there came to him one day a young artist who had formerly worked on the world a youth by the name of morganbau adolf morganbau who admired Eugene and his work greatly, and who had since gone to another paper. He was very anxious to tell Eugene something, for he had heard of a change coming in the art directorship of the Somerville Company, and he fancied, for one reason and another, that Eugene might be glad to know of it. Eugene had never looked to Morgan like a man who ought to be working in a newspaper art department. He was too self-poised, too superior, too wise. Morgan Bow had conceived the idea that Eugene was destined to make a great hit of some kind, and with that kindling intuition that sometimes saves us whole, he was anxious to help Eugene in some way and so gain his favor. I have something I'd like to tell you, Mr. Whitla, he observed. Well, what is it? smiled Eugene. Are you going out to lunch? Certainly, come along. They went out together, and Morgan Bow communicated to Eugene what he had heard that the summerfield company had just dismissed or parted company with or lost a very capable director by the name of freeman and they were looking for a new man why don't you apply for that asked morgan bow you could hold it you're doing just that sort of work that would make great ads you know how to handle men too they like you all the young fellows around here do why don't you go and see mr summerfield he's up in 34th street You might be just the man he's looking for, and then you'd have a department of your own. Eugene looked at this boy, wondering what had put this idea in his head. He decided to call up Dula and did so at once, asking him what he thought would be the best move to make. The latter did not know, Summerfield, but he knew someone who did. I'll tell you what to do, Eugene, he said. You go and see Baker Bates of the Santina Company. That's at the corner of Broadway and 4th Street. We do a big business with the Santina Company, and they do a big business with Summerfield. I'll send a letter over to you by a boy, and you take that. Then I'll call Bates up on the phone, and if he's favorable, he can speak to Summerfield. He'll want to see you, though. Eugene was very grateful and eagerly awaited the arrival of the letter. He asked Benedict for a little time off, and went to Mr. Baker Bates. The latter had heard enough from Dula to be friendly. He had been told by the latter that Eugene was potentially a great artist, slightly down on his luck, but that he was doing exceedingly well where he was and would do better in the new place. He was impressed by Eugene's appearance, for the latter had changed his style from the semi-artistic to the practical. He thought Eugene looked capable. He was certainly pleasant. "'I'll talk to Mr. Summerfield for you,' he said, "'though I won't put much hope in what will come of it if I were you. He's a difficult man, and it's best not to appear too eager in this matter. If he can be induced to send for you, it will be much better. You let this rest until tomorrow. I'll call him up on another matter and take him out to lunch, and then I'll see how he stands, and who he has in mind, if he has any one he may have you know if there is a real opening i'll speak of you we'll see eugene went away once more very grateful he was thinking that Dula had always meant good luck to him he had taken his first important drawing the pictures he had published for him had brought him favor with monsieur charles Dula had secured him the position that he had now would he be the cause of his getting this new one On the way downtown, on the car, he encountered a cross-eyed boy. He had understood from someone recently that cross-eyed boys were good luck, cross-eyed women bad luck. A thrill of hopeful prognostication passed over him. In all likelihood, he was going to get this place. If this sign came true this time, he would believe in signs. They had come true before, but this would be a real test. He stared cheerfully at the boy and the latter looked him full in the eyes and grinned that settles it said eugene i'm going to get it still he was far from being absolutely sure end of section sixty